Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Hey, Jundo, how are you today? How are you today? Well, I'm on drugs. What? I hurt my back over the weekend. You ever do one of those stupid things where you bend down the wrong way and, I don't know, maybe you slip a disc and all of a sudden all your muscles spasm? Oh, one time I had to do three bows during a ceremony. I only got to a bow and a half. (laughs) Well, I'm on muscle relaxants and I have been since Saturday, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. But this kind of reminds me of back in the day when I was growing up, back in the 70s, that people thought that, you know, drugs could take them places and they could discover things. You want to know something? What? There's a little truth to that. But the problem is that where the drugs take you is uncontrolled. And a lot of our practice is learning to bring this into heart and to manage it. It's a little bit like getting behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, anybody can do that. You, anyone can turn the key. but Where are you going to go from there? So drugs, yeah, it's a wild trip, opens a lot of eyes, but you can't stay there. You can't live there. You got to come back down to earth. Because let me tell you something. This place where we are, this earth, is wilder than the wildest trip. It's true, but people back then thought that by taking drugs, particularly hallucinogens, they could discover the oneness of the universe. You can discover the oneness, but, you know, it's things like this oneness that I want to talk about today. Because oneness is not just one thing. Now, I'm going to riff today. We're going to go off into some wild stuff, and I'm going to tell you why. People think that Zen these days is about relaxing, chillaxing, getting a little peace. It's about knowing who we are in the universe. Better said, it's about knowing that the universe is who we are. Better said, it's about knowing that You are the universe, and I am you. Better said, let's not say it. Let's riff on this a little bit, and I think it'll become clear. Okay, well, that's a good way to start, but you're not me, and I'm not you. In fact, you're half a planet away from me. I'm looking at you through a screen of a computer. You've You've been converted into digital bits and sent over wires and satellites, and you show up here as if you're real. Kind of like that thing about Plato's cave, remember? We see something on the wall and we think it's real. I don't even know if you really exist. Well, I don't even know if I really exist either. Uh, I I have to wake up every morning and pinch myself. But uh, yeah, you're just light entering my eyes, sound entering my ears, and recreated in my mind as an image of Kirk, who I assume is somewhere on the other side of the planet. But I think Kirk, I'm going to take a, a leap of faith and think Kirk is also thinking the same thing, and he feels like a separate individual who is leading his own life, was born, born at a certain time, is drinking his tea, has his bad back. But you want to know something? That's not all you are. That's not all I am. There's something about this reality that, for want of a better word, is expressing itself 
as you and me, and we're kind of two facets of the same coin, man. Talk about uh, drug trip, huh? <laughs> this reminds me of some discussions I had back in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess we weren't that far off back then with what we were thinking about. Um, but you said two facets of the same coin. I would argue that we are part of infinite facets of the same something. Precisely. But let's not talk about it as a something. That's one of the points I want to get into a little bit today. Let's uh, talk about what it means to to feel like the one. You know, people say that Zen is about feeling one with the universe. And it is. Except it's not quite just feeling one. It's about knowing that there's some wholeness, even when we don't feel it so. And this is very, very important. People, you know, we wake up, we're confused, we feel separate, we feel that life uh, maybe sometimes has its ups and downs. We're very uh, judgmental about things. And this is called, in Buddhist terms, delusion. And someone, when we're doing this practice, we realize something that is beyond all separation, all feelings of isolation and resistance towards life. That is like a feeling of oneness. But you know, it's not about the feeling. Let me, let me explain. Ask me why it's not about the feeling, Kurt. Why is it not about the feeling, Jundo? It's just like the way the moon is always shining, seen or unseen. All right? Uh, if there's a cloudy day and you don't see the moon, you're lost in the clouds. You're lost in the storms. And that's our mind that's filled with all kinds of emotions and thoughts. And then sometimes we can see this clear moon that's in an open, boundless sky. And that traditionally in Zen has been a symbol for enlightenment, a symbol for the wholeness, the, the uh, unity of all things. But you know what? We can't stop there in this practice. To be truly enlightened, if you, if you want to ask me, Please ask me, Kurt. What does one have to do to become truly enlightened? I'll tell you. The moon is always shining, seen or unseen, in daytime or night, in clear skies and stormy. And a large part of our practice comes to realize that we don't always have to feel one. We don't always have to know that there is this one. We don't always have to see the moon to know in our hearts, that the moon is still there. So in this crazy life of ups and downs and sadness and happiness and love and loss and children who are sometimes suffering and, and all this chaos, this busy, busy world, we realize that somewhere, somehow, some way, this moon is still shining. This moon is all of this wacky world. At an extreme level, someone can listen to what you say and interpret that as meaning that nothing matters and then become complacent. Well, a couple of things. First off, as opposed to saying nothing matters, how about saying everything matters? There's something in the Zen person's heart that says that this is not just meaningless. 
that it's like a great shining jewel. And everything and all moments and all inches of the shining jewel are the shining jewel. And that includes the dog shit. And it includes the magnificent mountain. It includes the stars in the sky. And it includes the bloody battlefield. It includes the days of sickness and the days of health. It includes the smiles and, unfortunately, the days of great pain. All of this, but it's all the shining jewel. So we look at this and we, we bow down. If I see dog shit in the, in the street, you know what I do? Ask me what I do, Kurt. You bow down to it three times and hopefully you manage to get up three times. Well, unless I throw my back out. That's true. So I bow to the dog shit and then I clean it up because that's also a part of our practice. This is a beautiful, ugly world. And we realize it all as just this great wholeness. But the ugly parts are still ugly. We got to fix them. Because well, it's only ugly to us, isn't it? Flies think dog shit is just fine. Um, there are plenty of insects that are going to thrive on it. It can serve as fertilizer. So it's just the context that makes us think that it's ugly. Well, th this is true, too. The volcanoes serve a purpose to create our atmosphere. The hurricanes that we hate, we had a great typhoon come through here in Japan, caused great damage, but it's just the earth circulating the heat. This is true. In the big picture of things, the things that people like are not necessarily what the earth is doing, you know. We have our likes and dislikes in our heart, and if we can put that down, we just accept things. But I want to talk, let's talk about the ugliness that people do, the violence. The suffering children. Okay, I don't care if what the reason is. If I see a crying child, a hungry child, I want to feed that child. So part of our practice is to accept this life, to realize it is all facets of the great jewel. It is all the moonlight shining, but yet let's feed the child. You know, that's the oneness too. You know, the dog shit is the oneness, and the clean, beautiful. Field is the oneness, but let's uh, do away with the oneness of the, the dog poop and make a beautiful field. I think the word oneness is a bit problematic because it's meant to signify that we are together with something, but it's the number one that gets in the way there. It's, it's just an idea, and it's a, it's a bad idea, and I'm going to tell you why we need to put down that idea in a moment. But let me, let me give you another image before I do that about how interconnected we are. Let's go back to the moon. Now, this is again where Zen people, we, we say, you can't think about this intellectually. You can't listen to some guy in a podcast and think you're going to get this. We sit Zazen until this becomes as real as looking out every day and, and, and seeing the sun, and the moon. What is it? All right. We know, for example, the moon is made of grains of sand. But do you know that to the mystic, whether it's a Zen man, or whether it's a Sufi, or whether it's even some of the great Christian mystics, the entire moon is con contained in each grain of sand? And to some old Zen masters, the entire moon is contained in a dewdrop. Absolutely. Because the moonlight to Master Dogen shone down on the world, and he said 
the moonlight shines on all things. And he was trying to say how this wholeness, this enlightenment fills all things. So he said, when the moon shines on a great ocean, it's as wide as the ocean. When the moon shines on a wave on the ocean, broken up into bits and pieces, the moon is exactly the size of that wave. When it's contained in a, a, a drop of moisture on the end of a blade of grass, the moon is held completely in that blade of grass. When Master Dogen tried to explain this, he was trying to say that the moon is fully contained in all the phenomena of this world, you know. So the, every grain of sand truly contains the whole moon, and every grain of sand contains every other grain. And I, I don't mean this, you know, just lyrically, and I don't mean this just like, you know, intellectually. I mean, really, you and I hold the whole moon. Every moment, every day, contains it all. So as I sit here drinking my tea, it's all I in the tea am cup. you drinking my tea, and you are me drinking my tea, and the and teacup is Every drop of, us. of tea, yes. Let me, let me put it to you this way. You know, so people think that Zen is illogical, but it has its own logic. Let me put it to you very simply. You do not feel like the tea. And the teacup is not the mountain. But if I say to you that the moon is you, and the moon is the teacup, and the moon is the mountain, that means you are the teacup because you are the moon, and you are the mountain because you are the moon. Therefore, radically, we don't realize this, but we are all an expression of this one thing. Now, if you ask me to place a bet, what's going on is, we are all manifestations of something about this universe that has become sentient as you and me. I don't think, you know, people say that if you're a Buddhist, you shouldn't make assertions like that too much. But I, I think it's actually in Mahayana Buddhism. It's very obvious. There's something about this reality that has become Kirk and has become Jundo and has become the mountain and has become the grain of sand and has become the dog poop. I'm not going to say which is the more valuable in that equation. but Well, they would all be valuable, according to your logic. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly and, right. And none is more valuable than the other, as well. Well, on the one hand, they are all shining jewels. On the other hand, uh, yes, please, some of it is more valuable or more beautiful than the other. So yes, we clean, we up, clean, clean up, up the dog poop. Clean up the walkway, yes, exactly. Yes. Okay, now, me being a literary person, um, I want to throw out a quotation from one of my favorite um, Buddhist masters, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He published yeah. an essay called Nature in 1936, and essentially he was talking about how one becomes closer to the ultimate when walking in nature. And, and here's a quote from, the, from Nature. Um, he's talking about when he's in uninhabited places like woods and lakes and all that. We return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life, no disgrace, no calamity leaving my eyes which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite spaces, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. 
I am part or parcel of God. I, I think it's beautiful. And, and I would say this is the reason that Zen people have felt a need to go out into the mountains, into nature, to feel something. But you want to know something? To the real wise person, you can find it on the city streets in the slum, in the broken glass on the sidewalk. You, you can find it on the bloody battlefield. Because really, when I say that this is not just in the beautiful places as human heart judges it, it's beautiful that sweeps in all that the human heart considers the beautiful and the ugly. So it is on the bloody battlefield where the war is taking place. It is where the children are crying. It is in the slums. But let's do this. Let's clean up the slums. Let's end the war. Let's feed the hungry child and maybe nurture nature. So even though it is all a shining jewel, it's all a facet, it's all the moonlight shining, yes, but come on, let's fix up the ugly part. So the idea is that there are some parts of the world that can inspire this feeling in us more than others. And perhaps nature being more alive than, say, a city street has that power. No, no, you need to see this. If you're truly wise, if you ask me, you need to see this even in the ugly places, even in the hospital emergency room, even in the, in the battlefield, even where the, the ugliness and the, the, the news stories. You need to see this everywhere. And you can find the light shining. But once you've done that, don't stop there. Don't just accept it. You need to fix what's wrong with this world, too. So no, you don't just find it in the beautiful places. So why is it not enough to talk about oneness? Oneness is very restrictive, isn't it? I'm glad you asked me that, because this one is very misleading for several reasons. First off, if you get it just as an intellectual idea, that's not enough. We practice, we, we sit zazen in order truly, truly to experience it. It's not an idea. The other reason is, anytime you reduce something like this to an idea you can hold between your ears in your stupid space, it's like, <laughs> let, let's say if I took something smaller, let me tell you, say if I said the Grand Canyon and just tried to hold an image or an idea, I visited the Grand Canyon like eight years ago, okay? I remember like some of what I saw. I'm trying to hold it now between my ears. Is that the entire Grand Canyon in there? Of course not. So this thing is so boundless, so big, so incredible that if I if I just try to make it a thing, an idea, I'm 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 not doing justice in any way. It, it's got to be something. The best we can do is kind of open up the mind very wide and knock down the barriers and 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 feel it in our heart of hearts. That's the best we can do with it. So that's so why we practice. So maybe instead of oneness, we need to talk about interconnectedness. Well, even interconnect, yeah, interconnectedness, but that's a kind of concrete frozen thing. I like to talk in, like I got a book coming out, I call it the Zen Master's Dance, because I saw the universe, I think Dogen saw the universe as a great dance in which we are all the dancers who are the dance being brought to life, coming in and out, you know, of the scene. We appear on the stage, we vanish again, but this dance goes on and on. But the dance is not a thing you can nail down. 
It's just a verb. It's just action. You know, it's, it's just a all... constant movement as relationships move and shift. Exactly. Every grain of sand, every star in the sky, every rusty tin can, every crying child, you and me, all the dancers in this, you see, floating in and out. And we are all the dance. But you cannot nail it down. There's a wonderful word in English, to reify. To take something that is, how to say, open and nebulous and boundless and try to turn it into a solid, concrete thing that you can make a paperweight on your desk. You cannot <laughs> do that. Do not turn this into the one. It is not the one. It is not the two or the three or the 10,000. Or It is everything and boundless and every one thing and all things and any way you can define it. It's all this great dance. You were talking about the dance and the mountain and the grain of sand. And the thing is, we don't see this happening. I have a desk that I'm using right now. My computer's on it, my microphone. It's made of oak. I don't see how this started as an acorn, grew into a tree, multiple trees, was sliced up, glued together. I don't see what's going to happen in the centuries to come as this falls apart, is burned, is chopped up, or whatever, because. The, the scale of time is so slow for things like that. We don't see the mountains grow because it takes millions of years to see them grow, yet they are always growing. The Big Bang and every ray of sunshine and all the earth is in that desk. In the desk. Open the desk drawer. Look inside. You will see everything <laughs> and anything that has ever happened in the universe is in that drawer. I know it's hard to think that because it looks just like a desk. But I'm telling you that everything that has ever happened, or in, in, in Dogen's vision in which the future is just pouring into the present, everything that will happen, all the open possibilities for the future are also contained in that desk drawer. And so you're in are, the drawer. So there are <laughs> atoms in this desk that came from the Big Bang, that came from stars trillions of light years away. And sure. at some point in the future, we'll move away trillions of light years, maybe when the next Big Bang comes. But it's not just the atoms. The, it's the whole life. Everything that's happening is somehow in everything you can look at or pick up. The picture behind you, the, the clock on the wall, the, the, the tree outside contains the clock, contains the wall, contains the... Uh, anyway. It's it's getting weird now. Kurt. It's kind of hard to wrap the it's mind weird around now, this without being on acid. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. I think a lot of people back in the day, you know, they drop acid and they would sense things like this. They would actually see this. Their body would fade off and they would see the, the deep interconnection of everything flowing into everything else. Everything contained in everything else. They would feel this and then they'd wake up from the acid and they'd go, wow, what was that? And they wouldn't know what to do with it. Our Buddhist practice is to learn what to do with these insights and to bring them down to earth because you can't just stay up here in, in, in weirdness, la-la land, you know, seeing your desk as, you know, the moon. You got work to do. So you got to sit down at your desk. I was just about to say, after this podcast is over, I've got work to do and you've got my brain spinning in three directions at the same time here. Right, right. So the, the, the Zen practice is also to see that the most mundane, the most ordinary we do when the, this wildness cannot be seen is also part of it. Let me, let me give you one more thing here. Okay, so the postman and the dog and your wife 
and you, according to what I'm saying here, are kind of all one, all facets of each other. The dog is the postman, is your wife, is you. Okay? Buddhism 101. But you couldn't have life that way, you know. Who's going to deliver the mail? You need the postman. Who's going to bite the postman? You need the dog. Who's going to walk the dog? Your wife. There you go. Because <laughs> you're not, you're not any this? good. <laughs> no, you're, you're useless. So <laughs> life, I don't think, now, now Buddhism, again, the Zen masters in China and Japan were a little more down to earth than I think the Indian Buddhists about this. And they recognized that this life is not something to escape, that there's something precious about enlightenment that's contained in this life. And I am that kind of Buddhist. I think that this world, there's something precious. There's a reason you feel separate. It's not only a bad thing. You can't live if you don't feel separate. If you don't have your likes and dislikes and dissatisfactions in life, if you don't feel that you're Kirk and you're not Jundo, or you're Kirk and you're not the clock on the wall, you can't survive. There's something about this existence where the universe needs to split up and be you and be me, and you need to be Kirk and pay your taxes and go about your business in your, your small, boring life. Kirk, I know you're dissatisfying. No one would want to be you life. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. You know, I know. I know. I was hoping but, you'd find a way to get me out of paying taxes, though. No, no, you know, you can go to the tax office and tell them that, according to Buddhism, I don't exist, so I have no income, and they won't buy it. <laughs> let, let me just toss out another quote before we finish, which uh, I remember reading this a few years ago, and it gave me a jolt. You, you know that way that sometimes maybe you're walking down a street or maybe you're sitting, and all of a sudden you have that jolt, that glimpse of the of the everything. And, and when I read yeah. this quote, it did it. Um, this is from Robert Aitken. It was actually quoted in a book I was reading um, called Emerson and Zen Buddhism. Um, With practice and experience, the mind is recognized as the empty infinity of the universe and of the self. Yeah, dig it, man. Dig it. I, I, I said it's a great dance. And I said, you and I are dancers, you know? So let's end this conversation now, because what we got to do is we get back to dancing. That's our life. The dance needs its dancers. That's you and me. We dance. And hopefully, we dance with grace. We dance with some balance and poise. That was Master Dogen's lesson, too. Dance through this life in peace, forsaking violence, right? But let's get up and dance. Okay, Roshi. Instead of asking you, where do we go from here? I guess we know where we're going from here. To the moon. Thank you, Roshi. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.